welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. But today I wanted to share something that's really sort of a foundation for freedom. By the end of this message, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I just, need to, I just need you to understand something and to believe something. And we're going to unpack that for just a few moments. Romans chapter 7, this is the Apostle Paul. I want you to think about this. This is a guy that wrote three, two, two-thirds of the New Testament. He's one of the greatest spiritual leaders that we know of. He's one of the greatest pastors and preachers and teachers. He's a, he's a phenomenal spiritual leader. And look at what he says about himself. He says this, he says in Romans 7, verse 15, I don't really understand myself. How many of you, you could just stop right there. How many of you, you can agree with, like that resonates with you. Like I just, I don't understand myself. If you're married here, um, how many of you just don't understand your spouse, right? right? So you, you get it, okay? Don't raise your hand. That would be a terrible spot for you to do that. You will get in trouble. He says, I don't really understand myself. Listen to this. For I wanna do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I actually do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this actually shows that I agree that the law, God's word is is good because I know that it's wrong. In verse 17, he says, so I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. That's important. Verse 18, he says, And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle in life, Paul says that when I wanna do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, I love his word, but there's another power within me that is at war in my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Verse 24, look, look at what he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? And death. Have you ever felt like that before? Where you do the things you don't want to do, you don't do the things that you want to do, and sometimes you feel like there's two of you. There's like this duplicity. There's like this war between who you are and who you want to be, and there's this fight between your ears and your mind. It's just you're struggling with these thoughts and these feelings, and you want to do what you know you should do, but you sometimes just fail to do it, and And the things that you don't want to do, you do it. And you just, sometimes you can feel so miserable, like Paul says. Have you ever laid your head on your pillow at night and just thought, I don't know why I keep doing this or why I can't do this. I don't know why I can't get it together. Can someone, like Paul says, can someone please help me find freedom? That's what Paul is saying. Can someone help me find freedom? I, I want to speak to you for a few moments today. From the title, from the subject, The Side We Hide. The Side We Hide. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we love you so much. And God, I thank you for this moment right here in this space, in this place. That God, we truly, we truly believe that you are here. 
and that you do want to speak to us. God, we thank you that we serve the almighty God, the creator of everything. And God, it is you that, that is, you're real and, and you want to have a relationship with us. That means that you want to even speak to us and you want to encourage us and you want to be the lifter of our head. And so in a moment like this, God, we thank you that we do serve a living God and that you are not only a living God, but a speaking God. And so right now, Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to us. For we know that if we can just hear from you, that that could change everything. God, as Paul says, can someone please just help me find freedom? That is our prayer. Can someone help us find freedom? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, could you clap your hands for God's word? I, um, I've been doing ministry now for 17 years. Um, I'm 36 years old. And, um, and for those 17 years, it's kind of ranged from, now it's like adult ministry and and. and and I get to, you know, speak to adults, but it's really no different from whenever I was a youth pastor speaking to youth. We all, we deal with the same things. The problems just get bigger as you get older, right? They just kind of get older and bigger and stronger. Um, but, you know, as, as I was a youth pastor, I remember um, being probably 25, 26 years old. And Jennifer and I, we were serving at a, this church in Louisiana. And, um, and I had this, this leader. He was a phenomenal leader. He was, he was great, loved Jesus with all of his heart. Uh, man, he loved uh, serving in the youth ministry. He was part of the dream team there. And he, he led some of the Bible studies and would help with setup and things like that. But I remember one particular Wednesday night, I remember seeing him um, kind of in the back of the room as I was preaching, and he looked so dejected. Like, the look on his face seemed like he was so discouraged. And normally he was sitting, like, up in the front, smiling really big and, and all those things. And, um, and, and so I went and I approached him, and I wanted to find out, is everything okay? What's going on? You seem very disconnected. Now, here's the thing you got to understand about this guy. I'm not going to disclose his name because maybe he listens to our podcast. Um, but, but I will say this, just to paint a picture, he was such an interesting guy. I love this kid so much. He sounded like, have you ever watched that movie Napoleon Dynamite? Ever watch that? There was a guy, there was a character on Napoleon Dynamite called Kip. Kip. I don't know if you remember Kip, but the way that Kip spoke, that, that's, that's how my friend, that's how he talked. This is what he sounded like. He was like, hey, excuse me, Pastor Jason's. That's how, that's how he talked, like Kip. And so I went up to him and we'll just call him Kip. Okay. We'll call this guy Kip. So I went up to Kip and I was like, Hey Kip, is everything okay? And he was like, he was like, geez, Pastor Jason. He goes, I'm just really struggling. And I was like, I was like, okay. I was like, well, what's going on, man? I could tell like you, you just seem really heavy, really, really down. And he looked at me and I was so proud of him for being vulnerable and transparent enough to, to share with me his struggle. Um, I think a lot of times in church, we, we won't do that. We want to, we want to project an image that we've got it all together. Let me just make this declaration about our church is that we're not a church for perfect people. We're a church for broken people. We're a church for people that need grace and need forgiveness and need love. That is the church that we envisioned and we saw. We, we don't imagine a church that's a bunch of perfect people. For churches that act like they're perfect, they're simply just a museum. God did not send his son Jesus to die for a museum, but to die for broken people and to create a hospital for wounded people that need the love and grace and mercy of Jesus, okay? I'm just going to preach that right there. Not even into the message yet. And, and so I was so proud of him for just being vulnerable enough, courageous enough to take off the proverbial mask. And he looked at me and he said, uh, he said Pastor Jason, he said, I'm, I'm struggling with pornography. I, can't, I cannot quit looking at pornography. It is dominating my life. 
I look at pornography every day, sometimes multiple times in one day. And this has been going on for years, and it's a, this, is, this is how he called it. This is a stronghold. It's got a hold, a strong hold on my life, and I hate it, and I don't want it, and it makes me feel miserable. Reminded me of Romans chapter 7. And so this kid, he looks at me, he goes, Pastor Jason, can you just help me find freedom? And so me being this young pastor, thinking I have the answers to everything, what I'm finding as I'm getting older is I'm not an expert, I'm a student. And the moment I think I know everything, I actually know nothing. And the moment I realize I know nothing, I actually am starting to learn some things. And it was in that moment, I look at this guy, and this is what I told him. I said, Kip, I said, "Um, where are you looking at pornography? And he said, at, at home, at my house. I said, well, where at? He said, in my bedroom. I said, okay, don't you live with your mom? He said, yes, I live with my mom. I said, so where are you looking at pornography with your mom in y'all's little bitty house? He said, I go to my bedroom and I shut the door and I lock it when she goes to bed. I said, I got it. Here's what I want you to do. Kip, I want you to take your door off the hinges and put it in your backyard. You don't have a door anymore in your room. Yeah. He looked at me, he goes, seriously, Pastor Jason? I was like, yeah, I want you to take that door right off the hinges, put it in your back, backyard. Desperate times call for desperate measures. He said, okay, I'll do it. So he does it. So the next week at church, I'm telling you, he was back up in the front. He's worshiping, smiling, had the joy of the Lord. I mean, it was like, it was amazing. I'm thinking, I, I'm the best pastor ever. I, I've, I've helped this guy find freedom, right? Two, the next week, two, two weeks later, same thing. He's up in the front. He's worshiping. It's amazing. He's loving Jesus. By about the third or fourth week, I noticed that he's now slipped back to the back of the room. No offense to anyone sitting in the back. I'm, that's, that's, I'm not saying anything. You know what I mean. But he slipped farther to the back, and he would not even stand during worship. And I could tell he was so defeated. So I went back to him, and I said, hey, man, is everything okay? I sat down beside him, and I knew. I knew that things were not okay. And I began to talk to him, and, and sure enough, he said, Pastor Jason, I'm, I'm, I've fallen back into the cycle, and I feel so terrible. I did not even want to come to church. I didn't want to lift my hands. I felt so dirty and so unclean, so ashamed, so condemned. I thought there's no way God loves me or these people can love me. If they knew everything about me, if they knew what I was doing, you ever felt like that before? And in that moment, I just, my heart broke. And so I did the very best that I could as a young 25-year-old youth pastor. I looked at him and said, Kip, Where'd you look at pornography this time? Couldn't have been in your bedroom. He said, well, uh, Pastor Jason, I I went uh, to the bathroom. I looked at pornography in the bathroom. So I said, well, Kip, take the door off the hinges. Put it in your backyard. No kidding. This guy looked at me. He goes, geez, Pastor Jason, sooner or later, I'm not going to have any doors on my house. (laughs) You know, that young man struggled for a long time to find freedom And I never was able to get past this thought is that he came to me looking for freedom. And the best that I could do was preach to him my behavior modification sermon, try harder. This is what my my solution to him was. Hey, just try harder. You do it. You fix this. You deal with this. You do it. You fix it. Essentially, I was calling him to be his functioning savior and his functioning deliverer. You just try harder. Have you ever heard one of these things before in church? I'm just like exposing so many things here. Have you ever heard one of these in church? If you're dealing with, you know, fill in the blank, this, here's what you need to do. You need to make sure that you're praying and fasting because some kind only come out by prayer and fasting, right? 
It's the scripture. If you're struggling, you need to memorize God's word. Psalm 119 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you, God. So you need to memorize more scripture. Never heard this one right here. Uh, you just need to eliminate any vulnerable setups and situations and context that would set you up to mess you up. Eliminate that. You know what else you need to do? You need to make sure that you confess your sins to other people because the Bible says in James, if you confess your sins one to another, you'll find healing, you'll find freedom. Now listen to me. All of those things are great. They're common sense to a degree, but all of those things are wonderful supplements that will help us in being able to, to walk out the freedom process, but they can never, on our best day, help us discover the freedom that God has afforded to us through the person Jesus Christ. Those things are great. We should do those things. I pray and read my Bible. I fast. I memorize scripture. I try to eliminate context that could set me up to mess me up. I confess my struggles to other people. But listen, those things in and of themselves, they are not the source of our freedom. So let me ask you this question without you blurting it out loud because that would be awkward. What is your sin? You see, because we all have something. That young man, his was pornography. Yours may be lust. Maybe it is pornography. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe you can speak in tongues, but you just can't hold your tongue. Maybe you dishonor people, you disrespect people. Maybe you're insubordinate to your boss. Maybe you lied to get good business deals. I'm not sure what your sin may be or your struggle may be, but listen to me. If the Apostle Paul, two-thirds of the New Testament was written by him, if even him, he said, I even struggle with this thing. Here's what I know is all of us, we have something. And if you don't think you have something, that is your something. Because we all struggle with something. I heard a guy uh, give this illustration once, and I actually tried it out, and it actually works. Did you know that you can, you can actually take the top off of a, of a piano, and you can sing into the piano, and, and because there's 88 uh, you know, notes there on the piano, whatever note you're singing, like if it's in the key of C or the key of G, that it will actually vibrate that string that coordinates and corresponds with the note that you're singing. Do you know that? So, so when you sing one note, it doesn't necessarily resonate with all the notes, but it will resonate with the note that it corresponds with. Let me tell you this. The devil knows your string. He knows your string. And your string may not be her string or his string, but the devil knows your string. And he will come up next to you, and he will lure you away from the plan and the purposes of God by singing the string that will get you to bite the bait, to fall in the temptation so that he can control your life he can dominate your life, and he can keep you from the plans and the purposes of God. So what is your string? Hebrews chapter 12 calls it a besetting sin. It's, it's kind of an old school word, but a besetting sin is simply this. It's that recurring thing. It's that thing that we do. We commit that sin. We confess that sin only to commit that sin again. And then we confess that sin. It's like we're recommitting our recommitment, our recommitment. And it's like we do the thing we don't want to do. We don't do the thing we want to do. We all deal with that. So what is the solution? Because the problem is this, is the enemy will get you, get you to believe the lie that because you've always dealt with this thing, that there's no hope for you and you can never find freedom. So just accept it. This is just who I am. And then it becomes an identity issue because now you're starting to take the activity and form your identity around the activity. So now you believe that because I keep doing this now, because I look at pornography, now I'm just a pervert. Now because I, I, I lie, I am a liar. See, it begins to shape your identity, the activity will begin to shape your identity. And so the question is, is there any hope? Well, here's uh, the good news. I love good news. See, that's a lot of bad news right there. But we're good news church, okay? Ephesians chapter 1 says this. He, Jesus, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. The Bible says that God is so rich in grace and kindness 
That is his posture towards us. He's not up there, this wrathful, angry God, mad at us. I look at all these bad sinners down there. No, no, no. God is a God of grace and love and mercy. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He's quick to love us. He leans into us with his grace, with his kindness and his love. And the Bible says it's out of his grace and his mercy and his love and his kindness that he actually bought. He purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, Jesus. Here's what that tells me. He wouldn't put it on the menu if we couldn't have it. He purchased our freedom. So whatever you're dealing with or you've ever dealt with, if it's a thing that maybe you're free, right? You feel like you're walking in freedom, but every once in a while it comes back up. Listen to me. Jesus has already bought the freedom that you so desire, but you think you cannot have. He's paid for your freedom. Now, look, I want to break down Romans chapter 7 because I think it gives us an amazing insight to what Paul's talking about in the area of freedom. Romans 7 in verse 17 and in verse 20, in that setup where he's saying, I do the things I don't want to do, I don't do the things that I want to do, he makes two very rich theological statements. In verse 20, I'll just read verse 20, but it's the same as verse 17. He says this, if I do, I want you to follow me, if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. You know what this sounds like? It sounds like he's not taking responsibility for his actions, right? Have you ever noticed that in prison, everyone's innocent? (laughs) I didn't do it. No one did it in prison, right? This isn't what Paul is saying. Paul's not saying, well, whenever I do that, that wasn't me. That's not what he's saying. Here's what he's doing. He's actually personifying sin, and he's separating it from himself. He's saying, when I sin, that is not me. That's the old me my old nature, my old identity, I'm not that anymore. I'm not a liar. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a gospel. Whenever I make a mistake and I do these things, the enemy wants me to believe that's who I am, but that's not who I am. Paul says, I separate myself from that. That is a side of me, but it's actually the old side of me that right now I'm still trying to deal with and God's dealing with, but that's not who I am. You see, you're not what's been done to you. You're not what you have done. You're what has been done for you through the person, Jesus Christ. That is your identity. That is my identity. But the enemy of our soul will always try to get us to believe that because we've done something, that's who we are, and that's where the cycle comes in. We begin to believe the lie, and then we keep doing what we think, we're, we sh- what we think is going to please our flesh, and then we begin to find our identity in that thing. And Paul says, that's not who I am. I realize that. Like, whenever I make these mistakes, the enemy will try to lie to me and say, that's who I am. That's not who I am. It's not who I am. I love that he does that because it reminds me of this story. Uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Do you remember that story? Um, some people actually say that this story was inspired by Romans chapter 7. Uh, the story goes somewhat like this. You remember Dr. Jekyll was a good, uh, a good doctor, and uh, he, he found out that, you know, there's this potion that he created that he could drink, and then it would make him morph into this different person. Well, it made him morph into Mr. Hyde. Hyde actually stands for hideous. It's the hideous side of Dr. Jekyll. And he would drink this potion, he'd morph into a different person. And though he was a good doctor by day, when he would drink this potion and become the bad uh, Mr. Hyde at night, he would actually go around uh, committing crimes, doing these very violent, evil things. In uh, the book, it actually says this. um, Dr. Dr. Jekyll said, the entire experiment backfired on me. I underestimated how evil Mr. Hyde truly was. What happens is, over time it begins to take over Dr. Jekyll and, and to the point where he doesn't even have to drink the potion anymore. He would just morph into Mr. Hyde going around creating all these, these terrible crimes, beating people up, eventually murdering someone. And at the end of the story, 
it's, it's a very dark story. At the end of it, um, he's kind of, he's been busted and the cops show up at his doorstep, remember? And they're, you know, they, they bust in there and he's now committed suicide because he was so miserable because there's this tension, this war, this battle between these two different people on the inside of him, the good doctor and the bad Mr. Hyde. Now, here's what I think. I think there's a little bit of Mr. Hyde in all of us, isn't there? The bad news is there's no potion that we can drink to separate our identity and deal with it. But the gospel is the treatment. The gospel is the treatment for our souls. That it separates the old nature, the old identity, who we used to be from the new person that we are. We were singing earlier that we are a new creation. We're new in Christ Jesus. I'm not the old me. I remember when I gave my life to Jesus. Listen, I was 18 years old. It was at my mom's apartment. I went upstairs. I walked into my room, and when I walked into the room, there was about a foot high of dirty clothes. My mom used to always tell me, please, clean your room, you know. There's like a foot high of dirty clothes, and, but the room was empty of furniture, but it was just like a mess. It was dirty. And I remember that picture actually painted a picture for me spiritually of the true condition of my soul, that my life was empty and a mess. I got down on my knees in that moment, and I remember giving my life to Jesus, and this is, this is what the prayer sounded like for me. I said, I said, Jesus, I'm so tired of my old life. Tonight, Jason Laird must die so that I can have a new life. That was how I committed my life to Jesus because I knew that there was this old side of me, this, this, this part of me that was destroying my life and, and causing me to live a life of bondage, keep me from the plans and the purposes of God. And I knew that side had to die. And that night, that's exactly what happened. That night I died from, to my old self and I was raised to newness of life with a new life in Christ, a new creation. The old has gone, the new has become. But you know what? I still dealt with things moving forward. Though in a moment I was saved and I was set free, freedom became this process for me where I had to begin to discover my freedom in my life. Now, here's the thing. I want to I unpack this for a moment. And I'm going to give you a couple good, easy points that you can take away. Is where, where does our identity come from? Where does our identity come from? You cannot talk about freedom without dealing with identity. Because what Paul's saying is, is the issue for me as a Christian is not a sin issue anymore. That's been dealt with at the cross. See, when you come to faith in Christ, sin is already dealt with. So what, what, what do you, how, do we, how do we understand this, this continual struggle with sin if it, we no longer have a sin problem? What is it? Well, it's no longer a sin problem because Jesus dealt with it. Now we have an identity issue. It's an identity crisis. That's why Paul is saying, I do the things I don't want to do, but it's not me. It's an identity crisis. We're identifying with the old us and not the new us. So the question is, where is our identity shaped at? Here's where, number one, your identity is shaped at. I believe our identities are shaped by the things that we elevate to ultimate things. The Bible calls these idols. This is when we can even take good things and make them ultimate things. Acceptance, it's a good thing. But when it becomes the ultimate thing, it becomes an idol. Uh, you can take uh, pleasure, it's a good thing. But when it becomes the ultimate thing, it becomes an idol. When it becomes your chief pursuit, you begin focusing your life on getting that thing and it begins to shape your life and that's where strongholds and bondages come in your life. A lot of times, the, the reason why we elevate certain things to be the preeminent, most important thing is because we have some type of experience in our life, some type of incident that happens in our life. A lot of times it's a place of tragedy or brokenness where we, we have that moment where we're wounded and then the enemy of our soul whispers in that moment, speaks to us in that wound a lie and we begin to believe that lie and then it becomes a stronghold in our life and that's where the cycle comes into play. Let me illustrate it because I know that's a complex thought. I remember 
when I was in eighth grade, going to this school, Christian Life Academy. I, it was Christian by name, but not by nature. It was, it was filled with a bunch of crazy kids, okay? And uh, I remember going to this school, and I was in the, the Louisiana history class. Miss Peggy Vijay was my teacher. I sat in the back of the room, and I was just sitting there kind of minding my own business. I was kind of a little, you know, chunky kid with curly hair, not the coolest kid, you know, in school. My mom used to shop for me in the husky section. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Mom. Still needing counseling for that. <clears throat> but I remember sitting in the back of the classroom, and uh, I, just, I, just, I just wanted, you know, like any eighth-grade kid, I just want everybody to like me, and I want to make some friends this first day at school. Well, this kid turns around to me, and he goes, hey, Jason, he goes, won't you ask Brent uh, how many push-ups his dad can do? And I was like, okay, cool. I was just excited that someone was talking to this little chunky, curly-headed kid, okay? So I look over at Brent, and I go, hey, man, how many push-ups can your dad do? He immediately buried his head like, like on the desk and covered his face and begins to like cry. And I remember the vulnerability that I felt in that moment, like, oh my gosh, what have I just done? And all the other students start looking at me and they're like, I can't believe you did that. You're such a jerk. And then one of the kids looks towards me and he goes, I can't believe you said that to him. His dad doesn't have any arms. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I felt so embarrassed in that moment. And all of a sudden, I grabbed Brent by his shirt. Mom, do you remember this? I grabbed Brent by his shirt. I stood up. I wanted, like, just to rip my shirt, but I was chunky, so I didn't want to do that. But <laughs> I was so mad. I said, Brent, I can't believe you told me to do that. And right then, Miss Peggy Vijay says, Jason, what is going on? The whole class is watching me at this moment. Peggy goes, Jason, what are you doing? I said, he told me to ask him how many push-ups his dad can do, and, and he doesn't have any arms. And she goes, Jason, you need to sit down. I know his dad, and he has arms. And everyone started dying laughing. What are you laughing at? I jumped up. I was so embarrassed. I jumped up. I ran to the bathroom. I remember crying in that bathroom, just sitting there thinking, I don't, I don't want to stay at this school. I want to leave this school. Now watch. Here's what happened. This wounded moment, I remember looking in the mirror in this moment, and this was the whisper. No one will ever accept you. You'll always be rejected. No one will ever accept you. That was the lie. I bought into the lie. I believed the lie. And here's what happened. All of a sudden, because I believed that lie, I elevated acceptance to the most important thing. And for the next four years of going to school, all I wanted was to be accepted by people. And I did crazy things just to be accepted. And that's how the enemy works. Is he gets us in these moments where maybe you were sexually abused or physically abused or maybe a parent did not say they loved you. Maybe someone walked out on you. Maybe a spouse uh, cheated on you. It's in those wounded moments the enemy comes in and he begins to speak to you a lie. And if you buy into that lie, just the opposite of whatever it is. If it's rejection, you'll elevate acceptance. If someone cheated on you, then I'll, now I'll never trust anyone. And you make that thing the most important thing and you begin to pursue that. And actually it becomes an idol in your life. It becomes more important than God. And that thing begins to shape who you are. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with these things? I love it because Paul actually gives the answer in Romans 7. He says, oh, what a, uh, in verse 24, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who? Notice he doesn't say, what, is the, what are the steps? What do I do? He doesn't say, he says, who will free me? See, freedom is found in a person. He says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God, Paul says, Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's word. 
But because of my sinful nature, see, he's separating himself. That's not who I am. Because of my sinful nature, the old me, I am sometimes a slave to sin. He goes, I realize that. I will do those things because of my old nature. But watch this, chapter 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, watch this, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. That is our, our own efforts, trying to be moral, trying to be good people. It never worked. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this, watch this, so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead we follow the spirit of God. That is freedom. He says, this is freedom. It's not, hey, do this, do this, do this, and you're going to find freedom. He goes, freedom has already been given, given to you and afforded to you by the person Jesus Christ because of what he has done on the cross. What he has done has unlocked the freedom that you and I were created to experience. Romans 7 is this. Paul says, my identity is not what I have done. Romans 8, he says, my identity is what Jesus has done. I love this. I'm not a sinner. I am a child of God. I want, here's something practical for you. There's going to be a moment, this is not a prophetic word, this is just reality, where you're going to give in to temptation. And watch, the deceiver becomes the accuser. That's what the Bible calls the enemy of your soul. He's the deceiver of the brethren, brothers and sisters, and he's also the accuser of the brothers and sisters in Christ. He will deceive you and say, this will make you happy. This will, this will bring you pleasure. This will be, bring you fulfillment. Do this, do this. So he's deceiving you. Then you buy into the temptation. Then he shifts from being the deceiver to being the accuser. I can't believe you've done that. Look at what you've done. Look at who you are. No one's ever going to love you. No one's ever going to accept you. And in those moments, here's all you need to do. Look back at him. Figuratively speaking. I know you're hopefully not seeing devils and demons. That would be crazy, okay? But in those moments, in your mind, remember the battles in your mind, in those moments, here's what you need to say. I am not what I have done. I am a child of God. That may seem so simple. It may seem like it's not powerful, but I promise you, declaring not just to the enemy of your soul, but declaring to yourself, I am not what I have done. I am a son and a daughter of God. There are huge implications to that. I am not what I've done. I am who he says I am. You see, here's what the enemy's, here's what his whole MO is, is this. When you fail and you give in to temptation and you sin, he wants you to focus on what you've done. God does something just different. He says, I don't want you to focus on what you've done. I want you to focus on what my son has done. There was a study that was done years ago where they, and this sounds like a cruel study. I can't believe they do things like this, but where they, they basically wanted to find out um, by giving compliments and criticisms or critiques to children, how does that shape their identity? And, and so they did this study over the course of a few years where they had one child where every one compliment that was given, one critique was given, okay? One critique for every one compliment, one to one. The other kid, for every one critique, five compliments were given. They discovered this. They discovered that the kid that was one to one, he actually developed low self-esteem and a low view of himself. Even though it was one-to-one, -one, low. The other kid had more confidence. He carried himself differently. Why? 
Because what we try to do sometimes is we try to focus. It's so easy. It's our natural bent and our natural proclivity to focus on our failures, our inadequacies, and our weaknesses. And that's exactly how the enemy tries to leverage those moments to get into our mind and to shape our identity. But listen, let me, let me tell you this. This is what I felt like God wanted me to tell you. For every one look at your sin, take five looks at your Savior. See, it's not that you should not be aware of your struggles and your sin because you should. You should be aware of those things. The Bible says we should be aware of the enemy's schemes and, and the way he tries to leverage those things in our life. But for every one look at your failure and your sin, can I encourage you? Take five looks at Jesus. Take five looks at what he did on the cross for you. It'll bring healing to your soul. So the, the answer is not try harder. It's not pray harder. It's not fast longer. Those things are good, but that's not the solution. The solution is actually much deeper than that. I want to give you three things. These are three things I want you to believe. It's not something I want you to do. It's what I want you to believe. And again, this is the foundation. If you miss this and you don't get this, you won't get the rest of the talks that we're going to be having. This is the foundation. Number one, write this down. Freedom is not achieved. It is received. Galatians chapter 3 says this. You received. Somebody say received. You received the spirit because the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, you receive the Spirit because you believe the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? You know what he's saying? By faith, you receive this new, this new identity as a son and a daughter of God, as a follower of Christ. The Holy Spirit is now in your life. You've received that by faith. Now why are you trying to fix yourself in your own efforts? Why are you trying to become perfect or live in freedom in your own efforts? It just doesn't work. Works do not work. Listen, freedom is not achieved through works. It's received by faith. Faith actually unlocks freedom in your life. It unlocks it. It's something you receive. You receive freedom. Forgiveness is appropriated by faith, but so is freedom. We receive freedom from what Jesus has done. The second thing is this. This is so important. Freedom is not the absence of something, but the presence of someone. You see, you and I, we've probably grown up in church or around, even if it wasn't in church, in certain, uh, certain contexts where moralism is taught. And moralism simply says this, there are bad things in your life, work really hard to get the bad things out of your life, and whenever you get the bad things out of your life, now you're free. That's what moralism is. That's not the gospel. The gospel says that, that freedom lies not in you removing something from your life, but inviting someone into your life. Who is that? It's the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. Let me show it to you. 2 Corinthians 3 says this, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So if the Holy Spirit lives in your life, if you've welcomed the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit in your life, that means that you can live in freedom. Because it's where his Spirit is, that is where freedom is. Here's some practical things for you to do. Maybe you've never done this before. Maybe this even sounds churchy or super spiritual to you. I know no other way to say this other than just to tell you exactly what I do. Is in the mornings, I do this. I pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, I welcome you into my life. I open my life up to you. Will you fill my life? Will you lead my life? Will you guide me where I need direction? Will you convict me where I need conviction? Help me to follow you. Listen, if you just try to work out your freedom, your salvation, it will never work. You'll be frustrated. But when you cooperate with the person of the Holy Spirit by developing an intimate relationship with him. Listen, I'm telling you, if you just begin to invite the Holy Spirit into your life 
And you begin to say, Holy Spirit, I want to know you. Speak to me. Guide me. Direct me. The things that break your heart, that grieve your spirit, man, let them break my heart. Keep, let me have a desire not to do those things. I want to please you. I want to follow you. Lead me. Guide me. Fill me. Maybe you've never prayed that prayer before. At the end of service, I'm going to invite you just to pray, Holy Spirit, come and fill my life. I just, I just believe he's a gentleman and he'll do it. You just have to welcome him. He won't force himself on you. He's not going to, like, grab your tongue and make you speak in tongues. Like, where, where does all that stuff? Churches have gotten so weird. Listen, people are weird, but the Holy Spirit's not weird. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman, and the Holy Spirit is a comforter. He's a guider. He's a leader. He loves to... He loves to to take the love of God and let you feel and sense the love of God in a real tangible way. That's who the Holy Spirit is. I could not imagine my life without the Holy Spirit. Landon, could you imagine your life? I could not imagine trying to be a husband without the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I could not imagine raising kids without the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to kill my kids sometimes. I'm like, Holy Spirit, help me please. Amen from all the parents. Let me, let me hurry and give you this because I have, I have one more point I want to give you. But Romans 8 says this. Therefore, so listen, chapter, chapter 7 was about my identity is this. I'm, I'm not what I've done. Romans 8, um, I am free because of what Jesus has done for me. And then it moves into this whole section about freedom but living a life controlled by the Holy Spirit. Romans 7 was living a life controlled by your flesh, doing just whatever your urges are, whatever you feel like doing, whatever would please you, whatever would bring you, you know, pleasure and those things. But Romans 8 is this. I'm no longer being led by my flesh. Now, because the Holy Spirit is in my life, I'm now being led and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. That's what Romans 8 is all about. But look, chapter 8, verse 12, I love what he says. In light of the Holy Spirit now being in your life, filling your life, he says this, therefore, that means everything I just told you was therefore this next thing. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, Sozo Church, that's you, you have, watch this, say this with me, no obligation. One more time, no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. He's saying because the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you don't have to do what your sinful nature tells you to do. He's saying you can, you can walk in freedom because of what? Because the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. That's your sinful nature. By what your sinful nature urges you to do, you will die. Listen, I'm not telling you that you're going to, you know, you go out here, you're lying, you're going to drop dead. That could happen. I hope it doesn't. But it's, it's very unlikely. But when you, listen, you lie to your spouse long enough, that relationship will die. You, 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 you cheat people financially to get good business deals, eventually your business will crumble. It will die. Sin always leads to death. And he says this, but if through the power of the Holy Spirit you put to death the deeds or the actions of your sinful nature, you will live. You will have an incredible life if you follow the Holy Spirit's leadings. Don't follow your flesh. Don't follow your heart. People say trust your heart. That's terrible terrible advice. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, your heart is wicked. Don't trust your heart. Don't trust your emotions. Don't trust your feelings. Trust the Holy Spirit of God to lead you and to guide you. You'll have a life that will be so amazing. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Listen, you want to know if you're a son or a daughter of God? You follow the Spirit of God. He says, so you have not received, listen to this, this is so beautiful. Talk about identity. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you. Listen, I've heard of a lot of unwanted pregnancies. 
but have never heard of one unwanted adoption. God wanted you. He loved you. He saw your sin, your failures, your mistakes, and he said, I want to adopt him. I want to adopt her. I want her to be my daughter. I want his to be my son, him to be my son. And since we are his children, I'm sorry, it says um, God's spirit when he adopted us as his own children. Now, look at this. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. You know what that means? That the Holy Spirit will speak to you in the depths of who you are and say, your father loves you. Your father accepts you. You are chosen by him. You, you are loved by him. You are free. You are desired. You are lovely. He cares about you. The Holy Spirit will speak. There have been moments in my life where I've struggled with certain sins and I felt like God didn't love me. And in those moments of brokenness, the Holy Spirit whisper in those moments, your father loves you. You are not what you've done. Your father loves you. He goes on, he says, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. You know what that means? Because we're God's kids, that everything that he has is ours. We are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Here's the final one. The third point for you is this. Very simple. Freedom is a journey. Freedom is a journey. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. For the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us, listen to this. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord and the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Do you see what verse 18 says? It's the Holy Spirit that makes us more and more, not us. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us more. It's not a program, it's a person. Thank God for programs. Thank God for environments that can train you and teach you and instruct you. But it's the Holy Spirit working in you, making you more and more and more like Jesus, changing you into the glorious image of Jesus. You are like a stone in the hands of a sculptor. And with his grace and his mercy and his truth and his love, he begins to sculpt you into the perfect image of his beloved son, Jesus. Here's the process is by the time, I don't know how long you're going to deal with that thing, but God's working. Let him work. And I just know that one day you'll stand before Jesus and you'll no longer just be trying to act like him and be like him. You will look like Jesus. He will perfect you. He will make you into everything you so desire to be, but you can't do it in your own, in your own work, in your own efforts. It takes the person of the Holy Spirit working in and through your life. It's a process. Listen, in one moment, God took Israel out of Egypt, but it took him 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. Let me say that one more time. You go read the Exodus account in a moment. It was just a few days there. In a moment, God, he freed Israel out of Egypt. He took the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of captivity. But it, take, it took 40 years to get the spirit of Egypt out of Israel. Listen, you and I, if you've dealt with something for a long time, it just may take a bit longer. But here's the good news. Because it is a journey, God's got more grace than you think he does. He's got more patience than you think he does. He's not, he's not lacking in love. He's not lacking in grace. I'm telling you, God just saying, hey, I don't need perfection. I just need progress. T keep taking a step. One step at a time. 
one journey at a time. Get in a small group. Take off the mask. Go through the growth track. Man, start giving. Start opening your life up to people. Just keep coming to church. Keep being a part of the community. Just one step at a time. Listen, we are so passionate here about helping people find freedom. But here's what we know. It is a journey. That's why we don't say to people, why are you still acting like that? No, no, no. We just say, hey, let's just keep moving forward. Let's just keep taking steps forward. Thank God I'm not where I used to be. But man, God, he's changing me. He's transforming me into the person that he desires for me to be. I'm not what I've done. I am who he says I am. I'm gonna finish with this. I want you just to, to listen to this. The enemy will try to tell you that you are the things that you've done in your life. But here's what God's word says about you. You wanna know something about your identity? You need to start reading your Bible. I'll tell you what, I was a confused, insecure, depressed, discouraged, probably even suicidal young man until I got God's word in me. See, it's not just enough for you to get in the word. You need the word to get into you. I began to read God's word and I started noticing these things that God's word says about me, my true identity as an heir of God. It says this, and I'm gonna speak this over you. You are God's possession in Genesis 17. You are his child in John 1. You're his workmanship in Ephesians 2. You're his friend in James. You're his temple in 1 Corinthians 3. His co-laborer in 1 Timothy 5. You're his witness in Acts 1. You're his soldier in 2 Timothy 2. You're his ambassador in 2 Corinthians 5. You're his minister in Acts 26. You're his chosen in Ephesians chapter 1. You're his beloved in Romans 1. You're his precious jewel in Malachi 3. You've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb in Revelations 5. You've been set free from sin and condemnation in Romans chapter 8. You were chosen before the foundation of the world in Ephesians 1. You've been predestined to become like Jesus in Ephesians. You've been forgiven of all your trespasses and sins in Colossians. You're washed in the blood of the Lamb. You've been given a sound mind. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been adopted in God's family. You've been justified freely by His grace. You've been given great and precious promises. You have authority over the power of the enemy. And guess what? I'm not done yet. You are complete in Christ in Colossians. You're free from, forever from sin's power in Romans 6. You've been made for the Master's use. You've been loved eternally. Eternally kept in the palm of His hand. You've been quickened by His mighty power. You've been seated in heavenly places. You're the head and not the tail. You're the light in the darkness. You're a city on a hill. You're the salt of the earth. You're a citizen of heaven. You're protected from the evil one. You're secure in Christ. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You've been born again. You've been healed by his stripes. You've been covered by his blood. You've been sheltered by his wings. You've been hidden in a secret place. You're on your way to heaven. Guess what? You have access to the Father in Romans. You're a, you have a living hope in 1 Peter. You're an, you have an anchor for your soul in Hebrews. You have a hope that is sure and steadfast. You have a power to be a witness. You have the tongue of the learned. You have the mind of Christ. You have a peace that surpasses all understandings in Philippians. And guess what? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can come boldly to the throne of grace. You can quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. You can declare liberty to the captives. You can pray always and everywhere. I'm out of breath. You can defeat the enemy. You can tread Satan underfoot. Guess what? You cannot be lost in John 10. You cannot be moved in Psalm 16. You cannot be changed. You can't charge. You cannot be accused. You cannot be condemned. And guess what? You cannot be separated from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. And the last thing is this. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. You are free indeed. You are not what you've done. You are not what the enemy has said about you. You are a child of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You've been free. You've been accepted. That's who you really are. I don't care what the enemy has whispered in your mind. You are a son and a daughter of of God. Come on, if you believe that, why don't you stand up on your feet right now? I want to pray for people. God, we love you so much. And God, we just thank you that we are who you say that we are. We are free. We are free. Come on, you need to speak that. I am free. I am free. I am liberated. I am accepted. I am loved. I am desired. 
God loves me. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. God, we thank you for that right now in this moment. God, I thank you that right now you're awakening people to two things. One, a desire for freedom and the reality of freedom. But number two, a desire to be filled by your Holy Spirit. It is your Holy Spirit. That that is the key. It's looking to the cross and finding our identity in what Jesus has done for us. But then through the power of the Holy Spirit, following you, putting to death our flesh, not believing the lies of the enemy, but, but anchoring our faith in the promises of God and following your Holy Spirit in our life. And right now I just pray for people that are dealing with things in their life. They say, I just want freedom in my life. If that's you, I'd never want to embarrass you. Everyone's got their head bowed and their eye closed. When you say, I need freedom. I am so desperate. I need freedom. Just lift up your hand. I'm going to pray for you. And God's going to give you freedom. You need freedom for anything in your life. It, it, it could be a struggle you've dealt with for a long time. It could be insecurity. It could be depression or discouragement. God's going to, he's going to right now, he's going to do something in your heart that you've never experienced before. I believe it. He's going to fill you with his Holy Spirit. He's going to start the freedom journey with you. God, I pray right now in Jesus' name for every single person with their hands raised towards you. God, right now, I have my hands raised. I know I want more freedom in my life. There's areas of my life where I just need more of your freedom, God, more of your liberty, God. I don't want to believe the lies of the enemy and accept my identity from from anything else other than who you say that I am. Right now, I receive that. Come on, just by faith, say, I receive freedom in my life. We receive that right now, Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. Join us each week on the podcast or live in San Francisco, California. Keep up with life at Sozo Church by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.